Everyone was kind of like, oh, it's it's in a library, and they envisioned kind of like, I don't know, not, not a pretty library. <laughs> <laughs> hey, readers, I'm Ann Bogle, and this is What Should I Read Next, episode 229. Welcome to the show that's dedicated to answering the question that plagues every reader. What should I read next? We don't get bossy on the show. What we will do here is give you the information you need to choose your next read. Every week, we'll talk all things books and reading and do a little literary matchmaking with one guest. Readers, last week, we made lemonade from these coronavirus lemons and hosted what we called a stay-at-home book tour. This was a series of online events with five authors whose book tours have been postponed or canceled because of current events. This includes me. We pulled it together really quickly, and so we didn't get an announcement into last week's podcast, but I wanted to make sure you knew that we planned another week of great author chats. Week two of Stay at Home Book Tour starts April 6th, and we've got such a great lineup for you. I'm thrilled that we have several What Should I Read Next alums in the bunch. Mary Laura Philpot, Susan Meisner, Melanie Schenkel, Deanna Rayburn, and the By the Book duo, Kristen Meinzer and Jolenta Greenberg. To join us live, get replays of past events, and get news and updates about our stay-at-home book tour, sign up for our free email updates on Modern Mrs. Darcy. Look for the blog post called Everything is Cancelled, so join us for stay-at-home book tour on modernmrsdarcy.com. The sign-up form is in that post. Readers, we hope to see you there. Today's guest, Mandy Lambert, came to me with a nuanced problem. Why do some books with heavy topics leave her feeling uncomfortable, while other books tackling difficult subject matter make her feel understood and connected to humankind? Today, Mandy and I pick apart the ingredients of her favorite and least favorite books to discover the subtle difference between a hard book that pays off in the end and a hard book that's just hard. Like every week, I hope through our discussion, you'll be able to see the patterns in your own reading life and take that knowledge with you when choosing your next read. Let's get to it. Mandy, welcome to the show. Hi, Anne. I was excited to see you're in Virginia Beach because when I was in college, I was near there and had friends there. And I don't think I've been there in many, many years, but my brain is back there with you this morning. My now husband got a job here and we got married here last summer in a library. You got married in a library. We did. I've heard about a lot of bookstore weddings, but not as many library weddings. Yes. I'd love to hear about it. How did you end up getting married in a library? We had the reception, actually, in the Slover Library in downtown Norfolk, Virginia, which is about 20 minutes from Virginia Beach. And I just found it online. It was perfect. It has the old um, historic building on one side, and then they have a modern kind of glass ceiling other half, and we had it down in the lobby. So it was just really awesome, beautiful pictures, and we did a lot of book details with like the decorating, so... So you got married in the lobby. Is that the old part or the new part? It is the new part. So it had a big glass front and there was uplighting. And once we got kind of the tables with the tablecloths in, it looked really library, but done up for an event, which is really cool. That sounds amazing. Seeing that we're talking right now on a podcast called What Should I Read Next? I'm imagining it wasn't just the beautiful space that drew you to this space for your wedding. No, I, I love reading and I just like thought this was so unique and exciting. It turned out awesome. Everyone was kind of like, oh, it's, it's in a library and they envisioned kind of like... I don't know, not not a pretty library, but when they came. <laughs> I have always loved 
my local libraries, but the branches I visit the most now, I wouldn't want to. Yeah. So everyone was pleasantly surprised. (laughs) Is your husband a reader too? He is. He is more into nonfiction than I am. How much did you lean into the library theme? We didn't do everything library themed, but we, my mom and I made some really cool little touches. We did the table numbers with old books that we spray painted and wrote the numbers on. Did it matter what they were? Did you choose them because they were like navy? My mom did match the theme of the book to like who was sitting at the table. (laughs) Oh, really? Yeah, she got really, really into it. (laughs) Would that have been obvious to the people sitting at the table? Not at all. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. And then we designed bookmarks for the name cards for each of the guests on their plate to show them where to sit. And my favorite thing that we did was I made little scrolls for each of the 75 guests that had an individualized, personally picked out book quote. That sounds amazing and really special and also extremely challenging. What was the process like of choosing those individualized book quotes for each guest? Yeah, it was really time consuming, but really fun. I was Googling book quotes about love and friendship. I have this big Excel sheet on on my computer now with 75 different quotes. And then it was just really fun, like matching them to the people I thought, like for, for kids that came, I did quotes from Dr. Seuss and Charlotte's Web and Peter Pan. For my dad, we read all the Harry Potter books together and we started when I was six because that's when the, the first few came out and I was learning how to read and when we would read a sentence at a time out loud. We finished reading the last Harry Potter. It came out while I was in high school. It was a cute tradition we had, like going through all the years reading it together. So I did the quote for him from Harry Potter for one of my bridesmaids who I became friends with in high school English. We became friends acting out Hamlet in our class. So Obviously, I did a quote um, from that book for her. One that was really good was for my maid of honor. It's from What Happened to Goodbye by Sarah Dessen. The person you call at 2 a.m., no matter what, you can count on them. Even if they're asleep or it's cold and you need to be bailed out of jail, they'll come for you. It's like the highest level of friendship. Oh, that's so sweet. There was tears from I was, <laughs> that's what I was gonna various ask. people. <laughs> that sounds like a teary situation. Yeah. And then one of the really funny ones. So my roommate from college was there. And so we had a lot of fun college times together. And for her quote, I used one from The Bell Jar by Sylvia Plath. There is nothing like puking with someone to make you into old friends. <laughs> Thank you, Sylvia Plath. It was hard, like, for some guests that I didn't know super well, like my parents' friends or people's spouses, and and those were a little more, like, generic, fun, love, life quotes. I don't want to project on you, like, oh my gosh, that must have been so hard. But the closest thing I have to relate it to is in my third book, Don't Overthink It. This is the first book of my three where I do have introductory quotes for every chapter. Mm. It's something I've wanted to do in the past and just, I, I didn't understand the timelines of how that worked as an author and it didn't get done in time. But <laughs> the first two thirds of the quotes came really, really easy. Like I knew exactly what words I wanted to introduce the chapter. But the last third, I mean, it was so hard to find the right idea from a source that I was comfortable sharing, not just comfortable, but that I was excited to put in front of my readers' eyes. 
Oh, it was so hard. I totally had the Excel spreadsheet going too. But you had 75 wedding guests, and I think there's maybe 13 or 14 chapters in my book. Yeah. No, I found the same thing. It was really easy for the beginning. I had already thought of ones where I had memories with certain people or or like kind of the easier to find life quotes out there. But I was trying to be really conscious of like how people would interpret the quote. This could go wrong if I don't think this through. But it sounds like there were happy tears. Yeah, it all went well. Well, that sounds like a wonderful way to begin a new chapter of your relationship. Oh, pun totally not intended. (laughs) Mandy, when you're not in the middle of planning a wedding, how would you describe your reading life? I've heard a lot of listeners also say this. I loved to read as a kid. And then in high school, all the books we had to read for school, I just either I wasn't ready for them or they weren't presented in a way that got me excited I don't know. I just think there's so many better books than what is picked for a lot of. (laughs) Well, first of all, tell us what books you were particularly scarred by. I read The Diary of Anne Frank for school when I was 11. Like, no. Mandy, (laughs) I mean, I want to say that that sounds young to me, but I've never read that book. Okay. Well, it's sad. It's very depressing. (laughs) I, I know that much. So 11 was a little young for you. Yeah. And just all the Shakespeare, like... I couldn't get into it. So then when I kind of rediscovered reading what I really wanted to read in college, and now I do a lot of audiobooks because of my commute to and from work, and I I can really get through a lot of audiobooks. And I just like love that. I think that's the best invention ever. Like you're reading while you're doing something else, like it comes alive. And some of the books on audiobook are just like magical the way it, Mm -hmm. it's told. When my son was struggling through The Merchant of Venice, which I really, really loved. He just couldn't get the hang of reading a play. And also he was so, so young. I think it was in like seventh grade. Yeah. Too young for Shakespeare. Yeah. And what I mean by that is, before readers are like throwing Rotten Tomatoes (laughs) there, don't throw Rotten Tomatoes at your phone. That would be disgusting. What I mean by that is just exactly what you're saying, that I don't think we do our young readers any favors by giving them books before they're ready to read them. Because I think that serves as inoculating you against classic literature that you may appreciate, or any kind of literature. It can be contemporary. Instead of exposing you early to the wonders of the written word, you're like, this is over my head and really boring and I don't want any part of it. Let's watch TV. And there are great stories on TV too. Like I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but I do hate the thought that readers don't want to pick up books for years because they think reading is not for them. When what really happened is they tried something before they were ready for it. Okay, stepping off the soapbox. (laughs) Of course, in seventh grade, my son was really struggling with Shakespeare when the first assignment was read 30 pages by yourself out of context, and then let's come back and talk about it. And we downloaded the audiobook, which did make it easier. I think I reflected this in, in the books I picked and kind of how I rate different books. I personally will rate a book higher if I enjoyed it, even if the writing wasn't like the best or most artistic or most unique that I've ever, ever read. And I just feel like a lot of the books that you have to read are maybe picked because they're literary masterpieces. But I just think also enjoying it and having a good plot and loving the characters and relating to it is just so important and can be underrated with what's considered like a, an important book to read. Well, I'm interested in hearing more about that when we get to your books. Mandy, you said that in college, you got back more to what you wanted to read. Did you know what that was all along? How would you describe what you are excited about reading? This also helped when I was picking quotes for my guests. I really like reading a lot of different genres and a lot of different books. And I find I kind of, 
I don't want to read just one kind of book all in a row. So I'll kind of like rotate between shorter, like quicker books and maybe modern with more classic. I was surprised to find how much I like historical fiction. And when I was looking at the books that I picked, two of them are historical fiction, one in the US and one in Europe. And that was just surprising to me just because I didn't like sometimes I find history hard to relate to or not as engaging. But I find when it's in historical fiction form, I really get excited about hearing what it was like actually living in these different times. Are you ready to get into your books? Yes. Okay. Well, you know how this works. You are going to tell me three books you love, one book you don't, and what you've been reading lately. And we'll talk about what you may enjoy reading next. So two historical novels, one that's more contemporary, and you were surprised, maybe not surprised by your favorites, but surprised by what they said about your reading life. Does that sound right? Yeah, I think so. The first book I chose was Fried Green Tomatoes at the Whistle Stop Cafe by Fanny Flagg. I heard about it by watching the movie first with my mom and for her wedding scroll quote, it just said Tawanda, which if if you've seen the movie or read the book, that's like just a key phrase that is just silly and fun. Basically, that book is about a woman in the 80s who meets an old woman at a nursing home. And that woman tells basically her life story about growing up in a small Southern town in the thirties. All kinds of things happen. There's a murder, there's friendship, there's family, there's love. Like it's about finding yourself, about confidence, about friendship. I remember the movie being really incredible. I haven't seen it for over 20 years. Am I still going to love it? This is what I want to know. Yes. I like the book better which is funny because I watched the movie first. I feel like sometimes I kind of lean towards whichever one I see first. But I liked the book better. And it's kind of interesting. One of the main parts of the book is a lesbian relationship. And it's so funny because in the movie, it implies it for a five second scene. Like it is so subtle. And then I read the book and I was like, wait a minute. When I started reading Fanny Flagg, I didn't begin with Fried Green Tomatoes, as I should have. I worked my way backwards from her newest release at the time I was persuaded to jump in with The Whole Town's Talking. And I got to say, if you are new to Fanny Flagg and intrigued by the idea, Fried Green Tomatoes is such a wonderful place to start. Mandy, what did you choose for your second favorite? Which I always feel like we're ranking them. We're not. Your next book you love. This one is the No Angel series by Penny Vincenzi. It's a trilogy, and No Angel is the first one. It starts during World War One. The trilogy goes, I want to say through the Second World War. I'm not sure. It was a while ago I read them, but it progresses over time. It has the main characters, and then the second book is the children of the main characters are adults, and then the third book is kind of the next generation. So this one is definitely what I consider more more of like the fun kind of easy read and in a situation where even if it's not winning a writing prize or anything, I just like loved it so much and had so much fun. And that is just as important or more than really technically good writing. And it has a really strong female character that's kind of ahead of her time. And she gets into the publishing world as a woman, which doesn't really happen back then. I love how all the characters are complex and how you see this the strong-willed character and you see like the good things that she gets from that and you also see how maybe that's not always so good and, and each of the characters in the book is like that and I think that makes them more more real like real people like their best traits can also be their worst at different times. Do you remember how you found the series? In college right when I started getting 
like really back into reading and realizing that there was so so much more out there than just what you're given in in English class or college classes or or whatever. Since then, I have read another book by her, An Absolute Scandal. What did you think about that one? I did not like that one quite as much. Mandy, what did you choose to complete your favorites list? This one kind of goes in a different direction, but I actually do see similarities now that we're talking about it. I chose The Namesake by Jhumpa Lahiri. I say this one's different because it's more modern and it takes place in the recent past or or present day. And it is about an immigrant family that comes from India to the U.S., kind of what that's like for them and then also for their, their son who is raised from an Indian family but in an American culture and kind of how he develops his identity and he, it goes through themes of loyalty and expectations and I just loved how it was new perspective for me that I don't have. I loved that multi-generational book which I'm realizing is kind of similar to <laughs> the other ones I picked since all three of them take place over different generations. <laughs> Interesting. Well, that's good to know. I love the different perspectives of different family members, I guess, like how the mom's experience is one way and then their kid has a totally different experience, but they kind of come from the same. I really like when books kind of touch on that humanity. Okay, Mandy, let's talk about a book that wasn't for you. What did you choose? This is part of my (laughs) conundrum that I'm facing. Literary conundrum. Yes. Keep talking, Mandy. This sounds fun. I just need you to explain why I have these opinions. (laughs) Because there are certain books that I read, they are too depressing and they just give me this like, uh, feeling after. I'm not sure if it's just the subjects that they are talking about that really like make me unhappy or if it's the way it ends, if it's not really uplifting at the end, if it's kind of a sad ending without any hope or with any change or any coming of age or anything, Mm -hmm. or if it's the writing style when I feel like sometimes authors kind of throw in kind of shock factors that are just kind of unrealistic. Like So so the one I picked that I don't like is The Most Fun We Ever Had by Claire Lombardo, which Mm -hmm. I know a lot of people really did like. I really like this. Yeah, it was engaging. It was complex characters, but I just, especially the one, the oldest sister and everything that she goes through in her life. I mean, there's just every kind of awful thing that you could expect in one family. And by the end, Mm -hmm. I was like, that's scary. I don't want to (laughs) like go on and have that happen in my life with my family and my kids. I was like, oh, too much. So I also like a lot of sad books with some really heavy topics. Mm -hmm. So that's why I don't understand like in which situations is it maybe too heavy and in others I'm like, oh, like I really get that feeling of humanity and understanding and like really love how reading it and getting that experience. So that's interesting. And what you're saying really resonates because I know I read a lot of books in which hard and heavy things happen, and I'm glad I read them. And yet I also just abandoned reading a book. I think I was maybe 60 or 70% of the way in because I just could not handle the uh, – one of the main storylines was about an older man 
like way inappropriately into a 16 year old girl and I just could not deal. Like I didn't want to read another word. Maybe that ended hopeful, but I wasn't going to stick around to find out. Yeah. Let's talk more about the most fun we ever had. This is a long book, multi-generational novel. It really opens with a bang. I mean, the inciting incident is pretty brash. Right off, I feel like they tell you this is a family who loves each other and they're deeply connected and yet they do really horrible things to each other. Yeah, I think that actually might be part of why I couldn't handle it. And like, it's odd because a book I really I really liked was The Glass Castle, which has plenty of elements of sadness and, you know, families. Mm-hmm. But I think it was just... In the most fun we ever had, it was every single character was being awful mm-hmm. to each other. Like, I think at least in the Glass Castle, the, the siblings took care of each other and there was just different, I don't know, there was still like an element of things being okay, a safe way that they could keep going. But I just didn't like seeing everyone just treat each other awfully. <laughs> I'm wondering if there's something here about the difference between People behaving badly, not just because they're people, but people acting like almost cruelly. And then people enduring hard things and maybe behaving badly and hurting each other greatly. But I wonder if there's some kind of difference there between... I'm picturing one version of a novel in which characters are just like throwing elbows at each other and shooting daggers with their eyes. And another version where they are bearing up under extraordinarily different circumstances. And I think the action can almost look the same, but the posture would be very different through different characters. Could there be something there? Yeah, I actually totally think that's what it is. I was talking about this with a friend and and I was just trying to figure out and two of the other books that I didn't like that were kind of like the heavy factor was Eleanor Oliphant is completely fine and The Girl on the Train. Like, those are two examples of things that I was just like, like Eleanor Oliphant, I was like, this is so sad because it's so mm-hmm. in her head and she's really emotionally struggling and she's has alcohol problems and it just is like painful. And then The Girl on the Train, it was like all the shock factor. Whoa. <laughs> and that book almost feels dreamlike because you're never quite sure who's telling you what. Yeah. Is it? accurate and is it because they're lying to you or because they can't remember because they were blacked out again that stresses me out (laughs) (laughs) okay so no books that feel dark for the sake of being dark yes exactly something else i'm noticing about eleanor oliphant and the most fun we ever had eleanor is coping when the story begins you don't realize what she's dealing with and as it slowly revealed oh it's hard to read And there's a parallel here with Eleanor Oliphant that I won't go into for spoilers and all kinds of reasons. But in The Most Fun We Ever Had, the book is ostensibly about the parents' generation, the parents' perfect marriage. And through the course of the book, you're like peeling back the layers to see the past pain there that's been buried. As you move through the book, you're bringing that to the surface. And it doesn't feel good to read about. I mean, it, it the, the book, I would say, is ultimately hopeful. And I also really enjoy a good picture of how different people in a family experience the same situations in different ways. And it certainly does that. But I can see how the tone is not one that 
you would want to read, but that is so interesting. Okay. So why are some heavy books heavy? Why do they feel too heavy for you? And why do others about similar topics feel okay? And I'm also curious to see like how maybe that changes over time for me or in different stages of life. I'm just wondering if that could also have an effect on when a book feels feels like too much versus when you're like, uh-huh. oh, that was a great emotional experience. I'm glad you said that. That's a really interesting point. And I don't by any means think, oh, we solved the conundrum. But I am interested in hearing if you approach your future reads, just having that musing going in the back of your mind, if it could shed some further insight into why certain books appeal to you and why others are very difficult to read. Definitely. Mandy, what are you reading right now? What I just read, and this is also interesting compared to what we were just talking about, was from your podcast, I got the recommendation of The Particular Sadness of the Lemon Cake by Amy Bender. It's 201 with Brian Eichenberger, The Hidden Value of a Terrible Reading Experience. Okay, so this is probably one of like the weirdest books I've read. (laughs) So thank you. (laughs) I'm laughing because I see the truth in it. Yeah, I don't think it's for everyone. I tried to explain the plot to Matt, my husband, and he was like, um, what? (laughs) Like the elements of magic in there that are just super odd. But I think because I heard it on your podcast and I heard it talked about in a good light, I was much more willing to give it a chance. And it's funny because because you also said it isn't rated very high and a lot of people don't love this book. And I found that when I was kind of exploring if I wanted to read it, there was all these people like giving it two star reviews. And I think I was, I listened to it on audiobook and I was looking at the audible reviews. It's narrated by the author and people were saying, couldn't get through this book. Sad narrator. Keep saying the word said. <laughs> it's funny because when I listened to it, I was like, okay, that is really true. She does say he said, she said a lot, and she does sound really sad, but I felt like it kind of enhanced the experience because it is kind of a sad, slow book, and the main character is a little girl, so it's, I think, the more simple writing and the kind of slow, for me, made it better. But yeah, see, it was also sad, and it also had elements of the parents and their, what their marriage really was, and how her mom really feels, and her starting to realize that, but I think the hopefulness of the ending and just the progression of the main character throughout the book made me understand why these sad things happened and how that helped her grow as a person rather than just depressing things thrown in there and then you just have to feel bad about it after. Okay, I want to throw a term out for you. It's something that I jotted down many moons ago, noticing as a reader this is something I really enjoy reading. And as a writer, it's something that I would like to evoke in my readers. And that is moral elevation, which I know sounds like a philosophy class, but are these words that you know together? I don't, but it sounds important to me. (laughs) Moral elevation is what we experience when we see acts of selflessness or moral beauty. So it's that like kind of tearful soaring sense you get when you see someone doing something good for humanity. That makes me think of Mr. Rogers, which could <laughs> totally be true, but also like seeing someone sacrifice themselves 
whether that's making a sacrifice or you love the Harry Potter books. I do. You see characters die in service of a good cause. And that feeling you get when you read about that happening. Mm-hmm. I mean, those parts are so good, even though they're so sad. Yeah. And it's because when you see someone doing something for the sake of someone else, because it's the right thing to do, we experience this warm, fuzzy, moving uplifting feeling. The Particular Sadness of Lemon Cake is a hard and heavy book. And yet she's not like throwing her elbows around. She's acting out of love for those she cares about. I think all of the characters do. It's mainly about her and her parents and her brother. And I think even the times when you kind of see them hurting each other, it's not malicious, especially as the story of the brother develops. It doesn't seem in intentionally harming each other it's because they're struggling with something and so I just think that's a lot different than maybe some books that I didn't like that are more characters at one another all right Mandy let's do this okay so you love fried green tomatoes by Fanny Flagg the namesake by Jhumpa Lahiri and the series beginning with the book No Angel by Penny Vincenzi. Not For You was The Most Fun We Ever Had by Claire Lombardo. And lately you've been reading and really enjoyed, um, which is significant here, The Particular Sadness of Lemon Cake by Amy Bender. We've talked a lot about how you, well, you love historical fiction, much to your surprise, but also love a good story that doesn't have to be example of literary fabulousness. Yes, yes, you have summed it up so well. (laughs) I'm interested in exploring this idea of reading things that are hard, but finding them presented in a way that you feel like, I don't know, that you're participating in the common goodness of humanity and not our propensity to tear each other to pieces. Yes. Because you can find both in fiction every day. Oh, yeah. Okay. Listeners, if you follow me on Instagram or on Goodreads, you may be thinking she's finally reading that book. It's only a matter of time before it's going to appear on the podcast. And today's the day. Mandy, have you read All of Kitteridge by Elizabeth Strout? No. This is a book I've been reading to read for a really long time and finally did. And let me tell you right off, here's the reason I think it could be so great for you. I actually wrote down a quote in my journal. Not going to give it to anybody at a wedding though, Mandy, and you'll hear why. (laughs) But I'm not usually a quote writer downer, but I was for this one. The context here is that it's almost like a short story collection. What Elizabeth Strout does, and she does this so well, is she rotates perspectives through this small town in Maine, but all of Kitteridge and her family get more airtime than the rest of the community. She portrays moments in people's lives. And it's amazing. She can have somebody walk into a grocery store to buy milk, and pretty soon they're remembering the day their husband left or the affair they almost had. It's not stream of consciousness like Faulkner, but she's portraying how people think about their lives and the moments that haunt them and how these everyday encounters have the possibility of making us more human and more compassionate and more open to each other in a way that feels really morally elevating. Or how a pretty mundane interaction can chip away at our sense of worth, even, I would say, in this book. All that being said, Olive Kitteridge, in her brain, is noting one time. She says, sometimes like now, Olive had a sense of just how desperately hard every person in the world was working to get what they needed. Because life is tough. But what I like about this book, and what I like about it for you, is that she writes about hard things, but she writes about 
regular difficulty of being a person in the world. And she does it with, I think it's almost like she's looking out for moments of goodness. And if that sounds boring, just pick it up and read a few pages. I think that would banish your misconceptions really quick. I have to admit, I'm not always quick to pick up a book titled by a character's name because you don't know the character. Like <laughs> yeah. you don't, you, you don't care. They have to, they have to win you over. But I think Olive and her crew in Crosby, Maine may win you over. And if you do enjoy this, I would pick up the next book, Olive, again. I just finished it. I think it's even better. That sounds like everything I care about in my reading and real life. (laughs) That is Olive Kitteridge by Elizabeth Strout. And also, please, please read, if only for the chapter called Light, Olive, again. I think it has what you love about everything we just discussed encapsulated in like eight pages. That's exciting. Okay. There are a couple books that I don't imagine are on your radar, although I've certainly been wrong before, almost sleeper selections at this point that I still think you may enjoy. They're a little more, they're not surefire hits, Mandy, but I don't know that you'd stumble across them. You want to give it a try? Yes. Well, I was thinking Susan Hawatch could be a really interesting author for you, particularly her 1985 novel, Sins of the Fathers. But let's give you something shorter. Are you familiar with... The Naomi Munawira novel, Island of a Thousand Mirrors. No, I'm not. Okay. This came out about five years ago. It's slender. It's 200 something pages. This is a novel spanning the Sri Lankan Civil War. It officially began in 1983. It just ended recently in 2009. I believe originally Munawira didn't believe that she would include the ending of the war in the novel, but because of the time in which she completed it, she thought this is the fitting ending. And what I like about this for you, it does share some common elements with the namesake. In the namesake, you have an Indian family immigrating to Massachusetts. And in Island of a Thousand Mirrors, you have a family leaving Sri Lanka and coming to Los Angeles. So opposite coast, but some common threads there you'll recognize. I think it'd be interesting to read similarities and differences between the two books and the two families' experiences. But what I really like about this book for you is it is definitely a book about hard things. I think this would be amazing on audio because the descriptions are so rich. And it's so atmospheric. Her prose is so evocative. But what I also really like about this for you is that while it is about loss and pain and war, as you can imagine, it is, it's an intense story, but you also see happiness and freedom, not just subsequent to, but in the midst of And what she really does is she takes this particular experience. I mean, you and I are never going to experience the Sri Lankan Civil War, but it's incredible to me how much story she packs into 200-something pages. My hope is that you would find this book rewarding because I think we're drawn to reading about things that are difficult because we are human and that is part of our experience. My hope is that you find she writes about them in such a way that you feel saddened, of course, but also in awe of the human experience. I think it's a story you may find rewarding. What do you think? That sounds really interesting. Definitely has has different perspectives. And I don't know the way you describe it. It makes it sound really complex and interesting. Well, that is Island of a Thousand Mirrors by Naomi Munawira. Finally, I didn't see this one coming today, but there's a really good historical novel coming out. It's called Codename Helene. It's by Ariel Lahan. It's set during World War II. And for those of you thinking, 
I read a lot of World War II historical fiction. I don't need any more. That was Ariel's take on this too. Like, are you kidding me? Why is the story that has been dropped in my lap a World War II historical novel? I don't want to write another one. So that being said, this is such a great book. Ariel is a friend of mine, so I have talked to her at length, both before, during, and after the writing process. This comes out on March 31st. But the book is done and has been done for some time. But what I love about this is it's historical fiction which you enjoy. It's an amazing story. And unexpectedly, perhaps to you, it has some parallels with the No Angel series. Those are glitzy novels. And (laughs) Codename Helene is about a socialite turned spy. The book was almost called The French Spy, but wasn't because Nancy Wake The spy at the center of this book was actually born in Australia, so that could be confusing. Nancy Wake is one of those larger-than-life people who are just incredible to read about. Codename Helene is one of her codenames, and this is not a multi-generational family saga where you get different perspectives of the different generations, but there's two interwoven timelines, which is really interesting and really makes you want to keep turning the pages and see what happens next. And you know where the story is going in some ways, but in other ways you don't at all. So the, the way she plays with time is really interesting and really serves the story. Ariel uses four different aliases used by Nancy Wake to tell the story. Codename Helene was her final one. What I love about this for you is it's a story of the French in World War II, and Nancy Wake is working in their service. But it's also a love story. Just as important in this book is Nancy meeting her husband, a Marseille man whose name is Henri even though she swears that her little purse-sized dog that she adopts very early in the story, that he will be the great love of her life. (laughs) Henri appears out of nowhere and slowly wins her over. And that story is so important in the book. It's so heartwarming to read about. And while Ariel is not making this up, I mean, this she's telling a woman's life story, the love story set against the backdrop of the terrifying World War II encroaching into France is uh, so, so effective and I think might be the recipe for a wonderful reading experience for you. How does that sound? It just sounds like great in every way. That is Codename Helene by Ariel Lahan. So of the books we talked about today, All of Kitteridge by Elizabeth Strout, Island of a Thousand Mirrors by Naomi Munawira, and Codename Helene by Ariel Lahan. Of those books, what do you think you'll read next? Well, I'm super excited for Codename Helene, but since it isn't coming out for another month, I'll start with Olive Kitteridge. That sounds like a really great fit for me, and I'm excited to see what you were talking about with the humanness and lightness, how it comes out in the writing. Well, I can't wait to hear what you think. Thanks so much for talking books with me today. Thank you. Hey readers, I hope you enjoyed my discussion with Mandy, and I'd love to hear what you think she should read next. That page is at whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash 229, and it's where you will find the fullest of titles we talked about today. You can hear more from Mandy on her blog, thisbrightlife.home.blog. Subscribe now so you don't miss next week's episode in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and more. We will see you next week. If you're on Twitter, we finally got our show its very own account. Follow us there at Read Next Podcast. My personal account is Anne Bogle. That is Anne with an E, B as in books, O-G-E-L. Find me on Instagram at Anne Bogle and at What Should I Read Next? Our newsletter subscribers are the first to know all the What Should I Read Next news and happenings. 
Over 10,000 readers get our free weekly delivery. If you are not one of them, visit whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash newsletter to get on the list. It brings us great joy to bring you this regular dose of bibliotherapy on Tuesdays. If it brings you joy, would you let us know by leaving a rating or review? It just takes a minute, but it means a lot for us and helps spread the book love because your review means other readers find our show. Thanks to the people who make the show happen. What Should I Read Next is produced by Brenner Frederick with sound design by Kellen Pekacek. Readers, that's it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. And as Reiner Maria Rilke said, ah, how good it is to be among people who are reading. Happy reading, everyone.